ADC Talks. Sveiki, dar kartą iš Berlyno. Tiksliau iš Franklin Strasės, kurioje yra įsikūrusi Berlin School of Creative Leadership. Šį ryčią diplomus gauna net trijų laidų studentai. Tačiau prieš persirengdami Harry's Potteriais ir atsimdami stebuklingai po perėlį, studentai turėjo pristatyti savo magistrinius darbus, ypač tuos, kurie virto startuoliais ir bestselleriais. Keletą likimo draugų užklupau prie kavos aparatų. So, uh, I have here the published author, uh, one of, she's not exactly my classmate, but uh, a, a mate we've spent a couple modules together. We did modules yeah, together, yeah. we even ran together through Berlin. Yes, we did, that, that's, that's the, I, I was saving that, that for the dessert, but yeah, oh, we, sorry, even, <laughs> we ran together. Uh, it's uh, Caroline Kuhlhoff, am I pronouncing it right? I'm yes, sure. almost, Caroline yeah. Kuhlhoff, yeah. Kuhlhoff, okay. Published author, uh, uh, the most famous introvert in the school, I suppose. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> although, although right now, because of all the success and everything, maybe you wouldn't come across as an introvert because you do so much of public speaking, right? Um, and I just wanted to um, talk to you a little bit about the topic of your thesis, uh, your personal path and journey from when you got here and how your life changed, basically, because of the topic that you stumbled upon and, and researched. So. Okay, so where do you want to start? Uh, at the beginning. So, so you, your background is uh, journalism, right? Yes. So you came yes. from, uh, when you came here, you were working at one of the biggest uh, dailies in the Netherlands, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. Algemeen Dagblad, it's called. It's based in Rotterdam, and I was an online editor at that point. Okay, and you're not now. No, no, right what now. What changed? Uh, well, what did not change would <laughs> be a better question. Uh, so, yeah, I, I came to the Berlin School because I felt that I needed something else in order to advance my career. Uh, because, well, I'm the person who's always continuing to develop, uh, who's always looking for the next opportunity and, and to grow personally. Uh, and well, I had already mentioned several times to my superiors, like, hey, I might be interested in having a leadership position. Uh, but each time I said that, they would be saying like, yeah, but you need to be more out there, you need to be more outspoken. So at some point I started feeling like, hey, is there something wrong with me that I'm not able to do that? Is that something that I need to learn? Uh, and then I heard some other people who did an MBA program uh, I, yeah, that, that kind of got me intrigued, like, okay, what is that all about? What do you learn there? Uh, I heard about the Berlin one from Wart, who's mm-hmm. another student here, who at that point worked for the same company, but in Belgium. Oh. Uh, I spoke to him, and uh, I was very enthusiastic straight away, and I subscribed to this new adventure, not knowing that it would change, like, a lot. So how far along your studies you were when you decided to change careers, when you thought that you already have the topic, the introverted leadership? Yeah, I think it was after the Asia module, which I did third, if I'm correct. So it was after three so modules. It's like 2019? Yeah. Like that? Yes, because I started my company end of 2019. Okay, so now and, and you have your own company. So yes. you left the, the newspaper... And you do what? Well, I decided that I wanted to work uh, with people 
instead of write, just writing about them. Because already as a journalist, I was very good at getting people to tell a lot about themselves. Sometimes they would call me the day after when it was published, like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I told too much. So I've always been intrigued by how people are wired and why they do the things they're doing. Okay. Um, so I decided that I wanted to do that more and then also the topic of introversion which was my topic that I discovered at the Berlin School was something very relevant to me that I wanted to help other people embrace that. And being strength. a journalist you wrote a book about it yes. which is now in the fourth edition yes. and is available in English on Amazon. Yes. This yeah. is not an ad, well it is an ad. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. So, so yeah, that was just to get the word out because, well, for me, uh, I'm always strongest when I write instead of speaking. Well, I had a lot of training in speaking, so I don't mind doing that too. But it's just that I prefer writing, and that was to get my message across and to share it with a larger audience. Really. Which started first, the coaching and the lecture giving on the topic that you were researching, or the book, which gave you, I don't know, awareness, maybe, uh, you know, spread the word, and then. You were confident enough to uh, well, go Well, the plan was to do it simultaneously, but the thing is that I started just before COVID hit, so it was very hard to do workshops, uh, to right. be out there, so I had to do everything from home. So I just used that time to finish the book, uh, to make an e-learning that I'm still using today for my coaching clients, but the foundation was laid in, in that period of time. Is it easier for an introvert to do the, whatever, the, the coaching uh, online rather than face-to-face? -face? Not necessarily, no. 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 Because after all, we are all human beings and we need contact every now and then, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, and the thing with online is that it can be more tiring, I think, because it feels like you're closer to a person. Okay. Uh, so for True. me, I, I find online intense. sessions sometimes to be more intense than live ones because then you can just have a walk, take a coffee, but online you're just in front of the screen like one and a half hours without a break. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I wouldn't say that it's easier. When we were just mm -hmm. talking in the hall and I said, yeah, yeah, I think I, I am an introvert too. And you just look at me and say, yes, you are. I said, so how, <laughs> how can you tell? <laughs> um, it's the level of depth that people are looking for and I know that we had I'm conversations before <laughs> now like the, the, the kind of conversations that we're having not just like chit chat but really going into deep having longer conversations mm -hmm. and, well both of us I, I don't think we're the life of the party <laughs> okay and you have your own definition for uh, introversion yes Can, can you share it with us? Yeah, sure. So my definition is that an introvert is someone who recharges by being alone. That does not mean that an introvert uh, doesn't like to be with other people. It's just that if he or she uh, does so, uh, they prefer to do that uh, in smaller groups or one-on-one -on -one with other people. And they also need a little bit more time to think and to analyze things and then to share their thoughts because they first think before they speak, whereas extroverts, they speak and think at the same time, so the speaking is part of the processing for extroverts. Oh, now it makes sense all of a sudden, because yeah. I have friends that can come up with jokes like on the fly, mm -hmm. and I, being a copywriter, I can only do that later, like, oh crap, I should have said that, yes. that would have yeah. been funny, yeah. that would have been hilarious. Yeah. Very recognizable. <laughs> like, ah. yeah. The same for, for meetings, right? 
Sometimes that happens. Yeah, yeah, like the the evening after or even the day after. You're like, oh, I shouldn't have, I should have said this or I should have asked this question. Yeah, it's very recognizable. Okay, so I think I can uh, probably call you like an advocate for all the introverts in the world. And uh, I heard that what you do uh, during the workshops that you that you uh, that you give, uh, you basically explain the superpowers of uh, introversion mm-hmm. and the quiet leaders. Can you uh, tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Well, there's a lot of qualities, obviously, and every introvert is different because it's just one aspect of personality. But if you look at like the whole group of introverts, then one superpower that they have is exactly this one-on-one strength, right? They go into, into depth with other people. Um, as leaders, they, they know a lot about their people, uh, really into depth, I would say. And they like to take a helicopter view of things, to take a step back, to take a little bit more time. So it's not always about speed, but it's also about quality, taking the right decision. Uh, and that also makes them very reflective, uh, analytical mm. people who, yeah, who, who look for, uh, yeah, the, the the bigger picture, who analyze more thoroughly. And it is not to say that extroverts would not do that, but it's just a tendency. It's a preference. Exactly. That, that's a good segue to what I was about to ask next, and maybe mm. that, that's the last question. Uh, the neurodiversity and the diverse personality teams. So that's, that's a new thing, right? That's a new topic. What, mm-hmm. what can you tell about this? So while doing research on introversion and introverted leadership, I also discovered that there's a brain difference between introverts and extroverts, uh, which has to do with the neurotransmitter dopamine. Mm-hmm. It's the happiness hormone, and it's the hormone that makes you go out and about, that makes you want to meet other people. Achievement. Uh, yeah. And, Introverts don't need as much, they're very easily overstimulated by dopamine, whereas extroverts, they need larger amounts of it and they need it continuously. So mm-hmm. that is what explains why extroverts go out and about all day, because they need their shots of dopamine all the time, whereas an introvert is perfectly happy sitting all by himself or herself every now and then, because that is a moment of recharging and their dopamine level is still all right. So, so if you partner uh, different people, partner uh, an extrovert and an introvert, and you can uh, then have a T-shaped uh, team and be more effective, right? Mm-hmm. Indeed, yes. But it is something that you do not see. So that is what makes it hard to take into account. Just an idea that popped. Uh, somebody was asking you this question, I guess, about the famous uh, couple founders like whatever Wozniak and Jobs mm-hmm. is it that uh, the all of the famous extroverts have like a shadowy introvert next to them as a partner like Some uh, of them. Batman Robbins yeah yeah those are like great examples indeed <laughs> uh, yeah Watson because, and Holmes yeah because and also for the extroverts they have their own challenges of sometimes not uh, thinking enough before speaking uh, for example, and yeah, so they can really complement each other in that way. Cool. So, okay, I'm not going to take you more of your time. Thank you for your conversation. That's a bit more than five minutes that I promised. Well, thank I you for having me. I hope that your, your uh, husband is not just looking for you. I'm not going to edit out the, the word hell, you're not gonna which edit. was featuring your presentation a lot, but yeah. okay. So but you know what happened is that at some point, Professor Andrea, she's like, I cannot use this uh, word in your... Uh, and I was like, what?
No, I'm keeping it. This is, this is uh, Jihan Fadel, everyone. Uh, my, uh, not again, not exactly classmate, but all, all, like we did a couple of modules together, right? Yeah. Um, the Asian one, uh, for example. And the summer also. In the summer the as summer. well, yeah, yeah. Um, and she just did a thesis presentation on leadership resilience in hell. So, yeah. True. Can you tell us a bit more about that? How come you decided upon such a topic? How come they let you do this? <laughs> uh, actually, you know what? It just happened organically because um, there's no other way to describe uh, where I come from and what's been happening for the so past you're from couple Lebanon, of years. From Beirut, yeah, I'm, right. I'm, I'm Lebanese hmm. and I'm, I reside there. So whatever has been happening in the past three or four years has been really challenging uh, for people to keep their businesses going um, and it felt like I needed to put this narrative out there uh, and to share their stories of resilience and how some of them manage uh, to keep their businesses um, growing in such a context and environment. Mm. How come the school lets you pursue this and lets you do this it's, from the first look it, it looks almost or maybe the presentation was a bit different and more emotional but it looks like I don't know uh, it's not a fictional work but it's a but it's not academical work in a way right it's so Oh, the research is very you, academic you, yeah, I know, especially I, I the know. literature review and all the research and the yeah, readings around this topic because, I mean, I found other papers that were studying this um, and trying to understand uh, entrepreneurs in torn cities. So it is out there. Yeah, but you even avoided to, to, you tried to avoid defining the resilience itself. Yeah, but and it was defined on in, a lot of pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought that since it was the last uh, presentation, I would spare you. <laughs> you know, the details, and this is something that I reworked yesterday, just for the sake of you know making it more condensed uh -huh. and keeping it very um, focused. But I, uh, it, it's not what I presented in my defense, so yeah. it's a rework. I love the comment by Ari who said that you are actually an actual embodiment of your topic, the resilience, because you are based yeah. in Beirut. You're yeah. still there yeah. uh, against all the odds, right? Yeah, I'm uh, still there. <laughs> so you're I like the living it. proof. Exactly. So. <laughs> and I think that those people, the entrepreneurs who are trying to come up with solutions for existing problems, uh, deserve to be recognized in a way and this is why I'm sharing actually it's not just my story I'm sharing their stories and their narratives mm. and this is what build the build up of this uh, work is because of them mm -hmm. it's not just because of me um, so the story of the collective is supposed to be inspiring for other people I really like the, the part about being rooted in the place um, and how it's interconnected with the person that you are and how the interplay of it then constitutes as kind of resilience, yeah. the ability to yeah. cope with yeah. whatever comes your way. Um, do you feel like you've uh, experienced, it, experienced that yourself? The thing is that process, you don't get 
what it really means until you've been through it. Okay. And just as I mentioned, um, a lot of definitions say that resilience is about bouncing back. Yes, it's true. It's all of that. But it's, okay, you're bouncing back to what? If you're bouncing back to the same mm -hmm. way of seeing things and same context, then you're stuck somewhere. So this rootedness is not just in the place, but it's in, in who they are. So being rooted is not in, being stuck. And they're authentic just, just... them and, and knowing that they can make it happen there. So it's a process. This is what I mean. I try to make it look like a process and explain how it works um, through these narratives that I managed to collect. So find the similarity, find where these narratives, narratives converge, where what makes every story different than the other. And uh, definitely there are differences, but at least what's keeping them there is um, a choice they made for now. Um, and because we're known to be a, a country that exports talents, you know, uh, we're the product that we export, as one of the participants said. So holding on a little bit longer seems to be the right thing to do now. Okay, so now that we've established that you're resilient, my question is like, how much do you think the school and your experience at the school, at this place, uh, contributed uh, yeah. to that? To what you are now? Have you, if you look back on the journey, what, what can, how can you summarize it? <laughs> what do you see? My journey at the Berlin School? Yeah, and uh, the way it started, it was like, um, for sure, I wanted to be part of that program. Um, the thesis was not part of me uh, finishing the program. Again, but, resilience. But exactly. <laughs> you did it. And, and you know what? It was a purely peer pressure. It's like the community around me, they're like, you can do it, just start, and it will happen. So it's through that collective, okay, through that group that support. was around me, I got my support. And um, it, just, it just happened. It, it. Yeah, can you address? Yeah, no. we need. Yeah, yeah, we will. It's okay. Uh, let's see. Thank you to Jihad. Was that enough for the last uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, um, So, yeah, peer pressure group uh, collective. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks God to that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you for, for this conversation. Thank you so much. Šioje vietoje pokalbį su Džihanu traukia kvietimas eiti atsiimti diplomą. Na, o po ceremonijos, kuomet teko skubėti jo ruostą, netikėtai pasitekė proga pakalbinti Paul Verdon, mano mėgstimą dėstojas, solve profesorių ir valdybos narį bei Harvardo mokslinį bendradarbį. So, I have a hostage in this cab, which is Paul Verdon, one of my favorite teachers at the Berlin School of Creative Leadership. And it just happened, so it's a pure coincidence that we need to leave for the airport at exactly the same time. Uh, so we're sharing a cab, and because it's, this is like a hostage situation, I asked him if he would be so kind and uh, do a small interview. Yeah, I feel like I'm a captive. I'm a captive <laughs> of you. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> the only way to justify it is if we find an opportunity to create some value. Yeah, as opposed to um, um, capturing it. Meeting you at the graduation, at the postponed, delayed graduation, I don't know, I've, uh, 
I've defended my thesis like in 2020 and because of the pandemic and the war and the, I don't know, the changes in the school, the on-site graduation happened just now. And seeing your face, seeing David, some of the uh, ex-classmates was a delight. <laughs> I mean, because it was a bit weird in the beginning coming to the school and even the building. Uh, the new building is blocking the old building of the school and I was like, I wasn't sure I was at the right place and all. So, but you were there with the school from the beginning and what intrigued me uh, when, um, uh, when David Slocum uh, uh, introduced you to the to the audience basically you said uh, yeah and you're still trying to figure out what are you doing here <laughs> yeah that's sort of a nice uh, lead into uh, what brings me there what brought me there and what keeps bringing me there is indeed that um, not being an expert at all in most of the businesses that you're in and originally not even be much aware of what's is usually called creative industries. Um, I was very intrigued from the beginning, from the first time when I was invited to come over. And I thought, well, let's give it a try. Let's see it. I don't know if I can add anything or if what I'm talking about in terms of strategy, in terms of creating value, would make any sense to you. Uh, but then, uh, time and again, um, my experience has been that uh, we have uh, some very constructive discussions. Um, and especially what... Uh, impresses me is the amount of uh, <clears throat> experience in the room, especially the collective experience of all the mm -hmm. participants coming from all these different uh, corners and parts of the industry or adjacent industries and uh, parts of the world. And um, um, uh, it provides, I think, for, for a very uh, interesting interaction between some of the more academic uh, concepts and insights and perspectives that uh, I'm supposed to bring and to represent on the one hand and what their relevance and use could be mm -hmm. you know on a, even on a day-to-day -day basis but especially on a more strategic level and vice versa so uh, um, and um, the only thing I can come up with is what why I've kept doing it and every time again uh, enjoy it is because uh, it's different every time and every time we get into uh, uh, new conversations and new ways to you know, identify some of the key issues uh, that you're facing and that perhaps, hopefully, you get some new ideas uh, about you know, going through the, let's say, some of these very basic strategic questions. Uh, especially um, what I've always been teasing you and your colleagues <laughs> with is Yes, you are being very creative, you think. <laughs> but, but, but how are you creating value? And how are you doing this in a sustainable way? And in such a way, and that includes my concept of sustainability, in such a way that you can capture some of that value to keep going, to reinvest, to grow the business. Because if you keep creating value without being able to capture some of it, usually you don't survive either. That's, I think, uh, the course that you would uh, give is the, the one that glues the whole program together uh, for the uh, people from 
creative agencies basically mm -hmm. because they might come here because they expect to meet other creative directors who want to grow and they don't really know much about the business side of it they, they do focus uh, on creativity and uh, it's it's quite um, easy to okay uh, hope for uh, learning about the teams and how teams work mm -hmm. and how to be a leader yep. but then the strategy the business part and the value creation and value capture yep. is a totally different thing so it just really makes sense once you put the two together and I think your approach in teaching business strategy to the creative minds is a very good one because you you come from a very good angle <laughs> so yeah well, so. that's uh, nice to hear um, but uh, to the point that you are making is that yes I think leadership is very important and teamwork and everything else around that um, and my contribution and my concern has always been is that it has to be about something and that something is what I th think ultimately is sustained and sustainable value creation so uh, to put it very simply as you know I sometimes say I don't believe in content-free leadership <laughs> um, and uh, that's why I think the, the leadership strategy organization they need to be connected and uh, they need to be consistent and um, clearly one of the things that I'm trying to do uh, in the discussions that we are having is indeed to try and take you to that broader perspective and to show how it's important to have these different aspects more than aligned, really more reinforcing each other mm. and, and, and really fitting together because uh, nowadays of course well there has been a lot of talk already about alignment but that's sort of I would say the minimum condition uh, the better way to put it is that you're mutually reinforcing uh, dimensions and that uh, you know with the right kind of leadership you can reinforce the value creation and um, you can only achieve that if you have the right organization to uh, support that and, and vice versa. So, uh, um, yeah, I think that's, um, that's nice to hear, but it's also part of the, of course, of the, the mission of the school is, is exactly to uh, offer uh, participants, you, yourself and your colleagues, uh, sort of a broader perspective um, and to introduce you to maybe some parts of the business that you normally would not be directly exposed <laughs> to but it's nevertheless very important to understand sure. uh, and um, I know that we often have people in the room who, who are sort of called the do strategic marketing or strategic uh, work for customers um, yet uh, perhaps are missing the, let's say, the strategic background to really understand, you know, how you can contribute to the client strategy. Uh, and uh, I think, again, it's about the broader picture and to try and uh, think that through, you know, uh, with the client and maybe even with the client's client. Exactly. So it's learning on, on, on several layers at the same time simultaneously. Right. Throughout the years, uh, have you noticed uh, or have, have you changed and adapted? What have you changed and how have you changed the, the course that you're teaching? So it's, it's kind of the same course, but you, you, you keep coming back to it. You say that you know, every time you need new people and 
the conversations that you're having, does that affect the way you teach? I think it, it affects it in a very natural way, not in a revolutionary way. Mm -hmm. um, um, I would think it's more incremental um, uh, improvement in term and change in terms of examples, in terms of uh, tweaks or additional insights that you gain while going through it. Um, and frankly, of course, since I organically adapt and change, I couldn't just sort of tell you now what are the big changes that over time I went through, except maybe to push even more and, and propagate even more, let's say, the perspective that I'm uh, personally very much uh, pushing, which is the, that value creation capture approach, um, and less the more traditional uh, strategy frameworks uh, that you find in strategy and marketing textbooks and because the more I go through this and to those textbooks the more I think they're really increasingly becoming irrelevant or mm -hmm. uh, losing at least a good part of their uh, uh, relevance. It's not necessarily a black or white thing but it's still uh, uh, I think increasingly the, the real issues uh, for startup companies as much as or even more so for established players is indeed to try and really regain that focus on creating value and creating value for you know the customers for the clients for society mm. in, at large um, but to pay less attention to what has been very much at the forefront of a lot of strategy teaching and, and textbooks which is the competitive arena you know and how to beat the competition I think the first goal is not how to beat the competition. The first goal is how to be the best at, at the value you create, you are creating. I'm getting a master class, I should be taking notes here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can do that some other day. <laughs> yeah, not in a car, then I can get noise, I guess. Um, another question that I had was, um, how do you take the, the, the changes in, in, the, in what's happening to the Berlin School? Are you optimistic? Are you hopeful? Or just uh, plain curious? And you, you, you keep coming for the people, for the institution, for out of your own uh, personal curiosity? What's, what's the deal here? <laughs> you mean about uh, the, the future for the school? For the, yeah, the future for the school. Because it's no. changed a lot. Yeah. You know, for the well, it's changed a lot. Uh, at the same time, I think there is a realization that we need to go back to and hold on to Amen capitalize to yeah. on the roots. Mm -hmm. And I think the very basic idea still holds, I think more than ever. Um, I think a lot of the experience that we gained in setting up the programs and adapting it, of course, to the changing needs, I think is also uh, something that we need to uh, hold on to. Uh, I think the network is there, of course there are mostly enthusiastic alumni. Um, as often happens in case of change of ownership, acquisitions, takeovers, whatever, is that uh, of course there is a tricky period uh, of transition um, that um, um, could be of course on the negative side a risk of uh, losing some of those mm -hmm. valuable assets. At the same time, an opportunity for a relaunch uh, and for really, you know, making changes that needed to be made. So I think, we, you know, um, there isn't a, a lot of time left at the moment. I think we are at a critical time <coughs> because with all those changes or the transitional period compounded by the pandemic, 
uh, <coughs> I think we really need to um, refocus on the uh, target uh, market uh, and we need to uh, and on the target potential of uh, participants which I think is huge mm -hmm. I think the industry still needs this kind of thing um, uh, both for again maybe more days now than at the very start of the program something like 15 years ago more uh, attention to the uh, of course uh, startups and small and medium-sized uh, players and of course the big trends and opportunities of the AI and digitalization uh, which are real and are happening every day so that's it but but at the same time um, I mean it's not like uh, uh, the established uh, players have lost relevance overnight and, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, what we're focusing on is still highly relevant I think in terms of really understanding what's needed in the business, uh, what it takes to uh, organize and to lead um, in this uh, creative space. Huh? Rather use that term than creative industry. <laughs> True. Uh, do, do you think the Steinbeis University, which used to be the uh, academic partner and now uh, the new owner of the Berlin School, which was founded by Michael Conrad and was more coming from the advertising world basically mm -hmm. do you think they uh, realize that and they value this uh, advertising background and the DNA the mm -hmm. heritage <laughs> I think it has taken a, a bit of of time I think it has taken a while but I think they have realized it I think certainly by now fingers crossed <laughs> yes I think yes but I think uh, I've seen the uh, evolution And uh, yes, in the beginning, maybe not everybody was on the same page and on the same uh, and, and fully aware of mm. that threat, but also, of course, that opportunity. Um, so, um, but I think right, uh, I think at this moment, uh, I think the people who are in charge and who are working with the, uh, the school, you know, they are on the right wavelength. I think they're, they're getting there. Uh, nice to hear that you're hopeful and maybe we can even finish this on this positive note and I can let you off the hook and you know just enjoy the rest of the ride to the airport <laughs> but I couldn't resist using this opportunity so thank you very no. much for your conversation anytime thanks hey DC